Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord. Welcome at to Lake Mount Worship Center. Connecting you to the life-changing will continually of Jesus be in my mouth. We hope that you are blessed and my soul makes by its today's message. In the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Here's our text this morning. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Last week we looked at the fact that worship is a heart pursuit. It's a heart pursuit of God and and David said in the preceding verses to our text today that I sought the Lord, I was seeking God and I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears and those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. Today I want us to look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Worship is supernatural. That is to say that worship is, if, if, if there is the natural activities of worship which we engage in, in our singing, in our clapping, our dancing, our bowing, our kneeling, all of the activities of worship that we present to the Lord in terms of our offering, that natural meets the supernatural realm of God, that God's ability is beyond the natural realm. And worship is super, that is, above natural. The natural realm is what we can see. The supernatural realm is superior. It's beyond the confines of our sensory environment. This is why God's word calls believers, the righteous, to live by faith and not by sight. That we don't live by what we can see and by our sensory environment. We live by faith that invites us into a supernatural lifestyle. Now, that's not just for crazy charismatics. That's for people who understand that sometimes you find yourself in circumstances that no natural solution will work. Have you ever found yourself there? A situation where you're outnumbered. Where you're outmatched or outwitted, those moments are hard. But God's ability exists beyond the confines of time and space and what we can see. Not only is this true, but there are also supernatural forces of evil. Have you ever experienced that? There's a darkness that the Bible describes as a darkness that is more than just the absence of physical light. In the Hebrew language, it's the word hoshek, and it means a darkness you can feel. Have you ever felt the darkness? Not just the dark, but darkness that you can feel. The darkness of lies and threats of violence, destructive ideologies that aim to destroy Jesus understood that there was a literal devil named Satan, the accuser of God's people, who had a singular mission, and that mission 
was against humanity. That's you and me. That's every person who's ever drawn breath. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, the thief, speaking of Satan, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and life to the full. There are two sides in Jesus' definition of life, which is the definition of life for this church. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, we take him at his word. There are two sides, heaven and hell, darkness and light, good and evil. And humanity is the target of evil when it comes to the enemy of your soul. And I would like to propose to you that you are the target of the enemy's hatred, of Satan's uh, evil. You're the target of that specifically because of worship. Let me give you a quick overview of why I'm saying that. When Jesus was on the earth, he said that he saw Satan fall like lightning. He saw Satan cast out of the courts of heaven. That gives us insight into Old Testament prophetic scriptures, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, among them, where Satan was cast out of heaven. We understand as we look at the narrative of scripture that there is an angelic realm that are tasked with assignment. There are worships, there, there are angels of, of uh, protection, warring, warring angels. There are angels that are assigned to specific tasks, messenger angels and worshiping angels. Satan's name in heaven was Lucifer. He was the archangel of worship. Isaiah 14, let me read this to you. It says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven and raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountains. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. When Satan was cast to earth, it was the judgment of God against the pride in his heart. Then God made man and woman in his image. If you read the creation narrative, you understand that the earth is there, but God brings order to it. The earth was without form and void. <clears throat> creation is over a long timeline. And so the creation acts that are outlined are creative within the confines of a planet that was pre-existent. When, when God cast Satan out of heaven and he landed on earth, the earth was reduced to formless void because the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. God set about to create a planet where the chief amongst his creation would be man and woman, humanity. And God placed humanity in a garden. He cultivated a space and said to humanity, fill the earth and subdue it. And there was an assignment on these image bearers, on you and me, that we're assigned to worship the Lord. And God placed us in a garden on a planet 
where the enemy was bound. It was as though God was saying to the devil, eat your heart out. I'm going to make a pinnacle of my creation, made in my image, man and woman, male and female, made in my image, put them on the planet, give them an assignment to dominate the earth that you wrecked and expand the boundaries and not only bring order through government and through gardening and through family, but through worship and repositioning the atmosphere to the glory of God. That was our assignment from the beginning. And so thus... Satan wars against worshipers. Why? We took his old job. And we bear the image of the one that he hates. So Satan set about to try to disrupt the plan of God. He tempted Eve in the garden, sowed doubt in her with regard to God's nature and character, and she questioned God. And she and Adam together partook of what they were not to eat of. And in that sin, when they disobeyed, sin entered the human race. The authority over humanity in that moment was given over to Satan, the prince of darkness. And so it didn't take long for that sin and wickedness to enter into the human race in such a way that when Adam and Eve had sons, one son, Cain, killed the other, Abel. Over what? Worship. They came before God with worship, and there was jealousy that was aroused in Cain's heart at the acceptance of God over his brother's worship, and so he murdered his brother. On and on the story goes. When God decided he was going to perfect a plan of salvation, he chose one man, told him he'd be a father of many nations, and built a nation. And in the Old Testament, what we see is God perfecting his plan of salvation and revealing through the nation of Israel his favor and his, his guidance and his light so that this small nation would see the favor of God against huge nations and warrior nations and discover that that God is not just an ethnic God and he's not just a localized God. He's the God of the universe. And he began a plan in Abraham but told him there's many nations that were coming and that we through faith in Jesus have been grafted in to Israel, spiritually speaking. And so, this, I'm giving you a quick overview, okay? So this, this is the overview of the plan of salvation. When God was now ready in the fullness of time, he sent his son. God took on flesh himself and came into the world. God took on flesh so that, listen, Adam and Eve, the first humans, failed in sin. God gave the law to his chosen people and it was impossible for anyone to live by the law. Spoiler alert, we cannot be perfect in our efforts. So God was like, okay, I'll take it from here. He took on human flesh to come and live perfectly to pay the price for your sin and mine through faith in him. It's the plan. It's God's plan. And so... God came and did it for us. When Jesus was about to step into his earthly ministry, 
He was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his water baptism. When he came up out of the water, the heavens opened. God the Father spoke. The Holy Spirit came and descended on him like a dove. And now the anointing has now come and taken residence on Jesus' human flesh. And what's the first thing that happens? Jesus goes into a wilderness to be tempted by the devil in the area of what? Worship. Satan says to him, hey, those first people that you made, Adam and Eve, they gave the authority over to me. See all the nations of the world? I have the authority over him. He wasn't boasting. That was the fact. And he said, I have the authority to give it over to you. Why don't you just bow to me and I'll give you the authority over the nations? As though Jesus was a narcissist just looking for power. There's a shortcut to the plan. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Not interested. And Jesus went all the way to sacrifice his life for you and me so that we could, through faith in him, be made right with God. All of that to say, worship is supernatural. You might think that you're just singing a little song that you heard at church while you're driving to work. But actually, whether you feel it or not, you're moving the atmosphere. God inhabits and sits enthroned in the praises of his people. Whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, when you get his praise on your lips, God sits enthroned there. Where his throne is, there his rule is. And so while you're driving to work and you got some worship on, or you turn your heart to the Lord and you just begin to sing, or it's just kind of subconsciously, you're not really, just the song is coming out of you. You need to understand, when we bless the Lord, we engage in the primary occupation of the angels who dwell in the throne room of God. Worship. Wherever God is enthroned, he's worshipped. When Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the rule of God, the train of Jesus' robe, filling the temple. That is a testament to his victory over every kingdom. And the filling of his robe in that, in, in the, that temple. And there were angels that flew around who constantly sang out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Daniel had the same revelation. John the Revelator had the same revelation. In that heavenly scene, God is surrounded constantly by angels that worship him. So when we gather as the house of God and we sing, how great is our God, sing with me. We're not just saying to one another, sing with me. We're saying to the angels in heaven, sing with me. How great is our God. And our text this morning says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Worship is supernatural. One of the ways that God moves on our behalf, one of the ways that God delivers is in the release of mighty, holy, warring angels, created beings that do his bidding. And if you think that's weird, you weren't paying attention at Christmas. What do I mean? I mean, we do little Christmas plays where kids come out with little white gowns on and little tinsel wings, and they talk about how, behold, the Lord has found favor with you, and you're going to have a baby. And we just think it's all cute. It's angels. 
Angel t- angels telling Mary she's going to have a baby. Angels telling Joseph to stick with it. Don't quit. <laughs> she's not lying. Angels telling the shepherds, you better get in there and worship the king of kings. Angels moving things in the sky to tell the wise men you need to come and worship the king of kings. See, we, we think that we've outsmarted the Bible, but the reality is there is an angelic host that surrounds the people of God. And in the throne room of God, where God is worshipped, when we worship, we're participating in a heavenly activity. And David says, when you worship, the angel of the Lord encamps around that. You're surrounded. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, you can write it down, I'll read it for you. It says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, verse 7, he says, He makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. Verse 14, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Okay, wave at me if you are those who are inheriting salvation. Just, okay, all right. Anyone unsure? You still have a chance. We're still waving. Anyone? You didn't wave? Just want to make sure, okay? The word of the Lord says that God actually has angels. All of them do his bidding and they serve the people of God. No no big deal. But angelic support in your life. Listen, in a time of darkness that you can feel, you need more than a better political leader. You need more than policies. You need more than social change. You need more than to win an argument on Facebook. You need the supernatural release of what only God can do. And the, one of the ways that God releases deliverance is the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And the angels of the Lord do his bidding. And they serve God's people. That's good news. God created humanity in his image. Angels are powerful ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Psalm 91 says that God will command his angels concerning you. Somebody say me. Me. God will command his angels concerning you to keep you and guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. For a child of God, you need to know that you're not alone in this world. Now, some people talk about having personal guardian angels and all that stuff. It's not necessarily a concept that you will find emphatically in Scripture. But there are angels that are assigned to watch over you. Whether you have a personal bodyguard that you meet in heaven and go, Hey, sorry about that time I was doing 140. That's not necessarily. That's more Hollywood than Bible. But what is Bible is God sends angels to watch over his people. I want to give you a biblical picture of this. Then we're going to worship. And listen, faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. That's a general statement until you realize, I believe today in this word, specific faith is coming into this room. By the hearing of the word of God. God actually wants to release specific faith for what he wants to do in this house and in your life as we worship. So there is specific faith that's going to be released this morning and the host of heaven that's going to accompany us us in our worship. This is going to be a day of mighty deliverance. 
Amen. I'll say amen to that. This, this is. In the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets who were specially gifted men who were used by God to care for his people. He spoke to them and showed them things that were needed for the people in times where direction needed to be made clear. One such prophet was a man named Elisha. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're just going to get a picture of this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. That's God's people. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, that's Elisha. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Just pause. How cool is that? The king of Aaron is making plots and plans against God's people. Don't just hear this as a history lesson. Hear this as the ways of God. There are people plotting against you. There's, there's darkness plotting against you. And while they whisper and make plans, God's like, heads up. Don't go that way. God says to Elisha, yeah, you might want to just take the long way there because they're hiding for you over here. And the Bible says this was happening time and again, over and over. Verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? In other words, he's like, he's thinking naturally, not supernaturally. He's saying, would you tell me, who is sneaking out of this war room meeting and going and telling the king of Israel where we're hiding? Verse 12, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. And the king of Aaron was like, can he see me? <laughs> That's passion translation. <laughs> Verse 13. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. How are you going to catch a guy who knows you're coming? <laughs> the report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Just picture it now. The king of Aram's mad. The Bible tells you he's enraged. And he wants to catch Elisha because Elisha can hear the plans of the king of Aram while he whispers in his bedroom. And he's going to come and seize him. And so he doesn't just send a couple of guys. He sends a whole army. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. All of this for one guy. And they went by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, he said, what shall we do? Pause there. You and I, spend a lot of time, and I would dare say waste a lot of time, in verse 15. 
because we're looking with natural eyes at our circumstance. And the servant of the prophet wakes up, gets up early, and he goes out to get some water. And while he's getting some water, he hears a horse. I don't know. Is that what a horse sounds like? It's close enough. That's horse sounds in, in my head. And he looks up. And he sees a horse, and he sees another horse, and then he sees the gleam of a, some armor, and, he look, and there are soldiers everywhere. He drops his water bucket, and he walks backwards. <laughs> and he's looking at a huge army. And goes in to the tent of Elisha, and he's like, <clears throat> peek outside. Oh, my Lord. He wasn't taking the name of the Lord in vain. That's what he called Elisha. Oh, my Lord. What are we going to do? We spend a lot of time in verse 15. What am I going to do? How will I get out of this jam? How is this going to, in any way, we are surrounded. We're completely outnumbered. There's a huge army. And they're not on our team. They're angry at us. They're here to get us. What are we going to do? Verse 16. First thing, don't be afraid. Circle that. Highlight it. Maybe get a tattoo. Don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. This greeting is constant throughout Scripture. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Depends what translation you're reading. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid the prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Can you picture the servant in the tent now? His mouth is dry. His skin is pale. His robe is wet. And he's saying, what are we going to do? And Elisha's like, don't be afraid. There's more with us than are with them. And the servant thinks to himself, oh no, my boss is having a psychotic break. <laughs> He's in denial. Something. How many fingers am I holding up? Like, what do you mean there's more with us than are with them? Verse 17. And Elisha prayed. It's the second thing you got to do. Don't be afraid. Pray. And Elisha prayed. Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Those are angels. Now, they were there the whole time. Elisha knew it with his prophetic gift, but his servant didn't know it because he was looking at things only through his natural sight. And often, what you can see is fighting against what you need to see. And the righteous live by faith, not by 
sight. And what you're seeing is sometimes, often, regularly, maybe even as I speak, there are things that are fighting against faith in you because the circumstance is writing the end of the story in your mind before you even fetch your morning water. Before you can even put your boots on, you are looking at a hillside full of opposing forces, and you've written the end of the story without even asking God. And what wrote the story for you? Fear. So Elijah says, don't be afraid, and then he prays. There's, There's often what happens is we get consumed by what we see when really what we need to do is ask the Lord, what are you saying about what I'm seeing? And when the Lord answered Elisha's prayer, what happened? The man's eyes are opened and he sees, whoa, you're not having a break. We really are surrounded. We're good. And in that moment, his posture would have shifted from nervous to, well, this is about to get interesting. Because <laughs> these guys probably didn't, don't see what's really happening either. And now I can walk just a little bit taller because I know that God is for me. And when I know that God is for me, this is what Paul says, who can be against me? What if it's a huge army? Do you know how big God is? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Anything in it is all just, you know, he's got the whole world in his hand. This little army is just like, no problem. And so that story continues with the deliverance of God that is enacted in that moment. But what I want you to catch is that his eyes, the servant's eyes, needed to be opened. Not his natural eyes. He was graced naturally to see into the spiritual realm. But today I want to say to you, whether you ever see into the spiritual realm or not, you don't have to go trying to seek that or write a book about it. All you need to do is understand that the reality of what Elisha and his servant experienced is what David says happens when you and I worship. That the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord comes and steps into your circumstance. God releases mighty, holy, warring angels into your environment whether you see it with your eyes or not, whether you even sense it or not, you need to know your worship is supernatural. And when we engage in worship, we're singing what angels are singing. And God says, I'm going to split the gap between heaven and earth. And I'm going to release angels into the environment. And those angels, though you may be aware or not, will be surrounding you, keeping you in all of your ways, according to Psalm 91. The faith that God wants to release this morning is a faith to recognize what what Elisha's servant experienced, you could experience in your week, in your problem, in what's surrounding you. That there is a God who's not aloof and distant, but he's a supernatural God. I don't know about you, I'm not interested in a natural God. I'm not interested in a God that I can figure out and put in my pocket. 
I'm not interested in a God that I can just, I can explain it all away and just have a tidy 45-minute Sunday morning. I mean, if you wanted a tidy 45-minute Sunday morning, sorry. <laughs> not sorry. God is way bigger than what we just think we can figure out, stuff in our pocket, and just have a nice little stamp on our passport for the week. Yeah, I visited God. But what we want to do is encounter the living God in the place of worship and recognize, and hear me, like I said last week, and I'm going to, it bears repeating again. Worship is an end unto itself. So we worship because God is worthy. We don't worship because we need a breakthrough. We're not worshiping like, oh man, things are really rough. I better worship and get some angels in here. I better worship. So, well, I want to worship because God's worth it. And as I focus on him, what happens is he begins to steady my heart. The fear begins to go. When I become consumed with who he is and what he's doing, there are people in this room, you've experienced pain and loss and disappointment that on this side of eternity, all God can do is minister comfort to you. You just need to receive that comfort. But what you need to understand is God is still good even in the midst of your pain. And worship moves you beyond the pain into his throne room and God sends angels and they come alongside and keep you in all your ways. Even when you stumble, he's lifting you up and the atmosphere is getting changed and I believe this morning there is a sound of deliverance that God wants to release into this room. When we worship the Lord, we engage the supernatural activity of God and we invite him to drive back the darkness that we can feel with the light of his glory that we can feel as well. Because how many know you can feel the presence of God? Psalm 32, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Psalm 32, David said, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. And you surround me with songs of deliverance. Isn't that cool? The song of deliverance and the angel of the Lord partnering together in the presence of God. You're my hiding place. You protect me from trouble, and you surround me with songs of deliverance. Did you know that there's a song that can surround you? And that isn't just something that is to happen to you. There's a song that can surround you that you participate in. And there's angels that encamp around those who fear the Lord, those who worship the Lord. And so I believe that there are eyes of faith that are being opened right now. We got time. I want you to stand to your feet. You're about to be surrounded with songs of deliverance. I said you're about to be surrounded with songs of deliverance. And you're going to participate by singing that song. Elisha was a prophet who through his gift, he could see the activity of God that was around him. We live by faith and not by sight. Whether your natural eyes can see it or not, I want to assure you today that spiritual sight is being enlightened today. The angel of the Lord is encamping around our worship in this room today. 
And so line upon line, precept upon precept, as we've been seeking the Lord and digging into his word together, all of the activities of worship, the psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs, the singing, the clapping, the shouting, the dancing, the bowing, the kneeling, all of the behaviors of worship, all of that flowing from the heart of worship, God now, through his servant David, shows us that in that place of heart engagement on the Lord, God's like, man, I love this so much. I set my throne up here, and I bring angels with me. And we encamp around those who fear me. I want you to just close your eyes right now. And in closing your eyes, what you're doing is you're setting your spiritual sight free. Just to, to like Elisha's servant, to, to see what we need to see. In this room, there are people that, there are, there are burdens that you've carried in here that no one can see. There are battles that you are fighting that no one knows about. There's a, a level of, of heaviness, darkness that you can feel in various degrees things that you are trusting God for. Some of you are on a mountaintop. Some of you are in a valley. Some of you are somewhere in between. But every single one of us has come into the house of the Lord today. And every single one of us has the opportunity to make David's confession, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul is going to make its boast in the Lord. It's going to help the people around me. The humble will hear it and be glad. I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to boast in Him. I'm going to exalt his name. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me. The shame is coming off. The fear is coming off. And the angel of the Lord is encamping around those who fear the Lord. Come on, if you're here and you love Jesus, you fear the Lord. I want you to just lift your hands all over this room. 